Welcome to the first Flint briefing in a new series in which our experts will shed light on the EU's political transition year. The next year will see the election of a new European Parliament and the formation of a new European Commission, both of which will influence the direction of the EU's policy agenda for the subsequent five years. In today's briefing, we're taking a look at a series of recent national elections in bellwether European countries to discuss what these could tell us about how voters may behave in June, about the balance of power in the Council and in the next Commission, and eventually about the post-2024 EU policy agenda. I'm Anna Abella, a director at Flint Global, and I'm joined today by our senior Flint experts from the Netherlands, Poland and Spain. In the Netherlands, we're joined by Flint partner and former chair of the Dutch Authority for Consumers and Markets, Chris Fontaine. In Poland, we have Flint senior advisor and former deputy president of Poland's Office for, of Electronic Communications, Lydia Kozlowska. And joining us from Madrid, we have Carlos Lopez Blankov, Flint senior advisor and former secretary of state for telecommunications in the Spanish government. Chris, let's start with the Netherlands where the results of the Dutch general election sent shockwaves across Europe. The election saw the hard-right Party for Freedom, led by Hert Wilders, one of Europe's most divisive politicians, topping the polls. What does Wilders' unexpected success mean for the Netherlands' relationship with the EU? Thank you, Anna. Well, a shockwave indeed, uh, but let's not forget he only has 37 seats out of 150, and we need a coalition uh, government. So it remains to be seen whether Wilders will succeed in forming such a government. Traditionally, the Dutch political parties have been loath to form coalitions with his party, the Party for Freedom, as aside from controversial views uh, he has expressed, Wilders is seen as a quite unreliable coalition partner. Um, the leader of the Social Contract Party, the other winner, new party of these elections, Mr. Peter Omzig, has expressed serious reservations about entering into a coalition with Wilders due to his party's positions on the rule of law and upholding the Dutch constitution. And meanwhile, the leader of the centre-right Party for Freedom and Democracy, VVD, the party of outgoing Prime Minister Mark Rutte, Mrs. Dillian Jezelgers, she has stated that her party will not enter the cabinet, but is only prepared to support a centre-right government in parliament on a case-by-case -case basis. So this will mean that, first of all, a coalition discussion, the coalition talks, will be very prolonged, possibly up to nine, nine months to a year. So yes, let's assume that we do get a coalition government in which Wilders Party for Freedom plays a prominent role. What would this mean for the Netherlands' relationship with the EU? Well, Wilders is a Eurosceptic, and although he backs a referendum on whether the Netherlands should remain a member of the EU, he will most probably have to ditch this pledge in a coalition government. None of the other parties have are likely to agree to this. However, with Wilders in government, the Netherlands, I'm sure, will be a less constructive player in Brussels. They will be dragging their feet on new legislation, also on wider institutional reforms, and they will no longer be actively championing EU fundamental rights. Also, while under Rutte, the Netherlands, in my view, punched above its weight in Brussels, certainly post-practice, 
a wilderness coalition is unlikely to seek out a leading role in council. But that, of course, would present an opportunity for a realignment of power dynamics in the council with other EU member states stepping forward to exercise influence as the Netherlands possibly will fade into the background a bit. So, will this potential presence in the European Council could also embolden EU leaders that wish to reduce their support for Ukraine, particularly as enlargement talks and hence discussions on rerouting EU funding to create to Ukraine will pick up. That's really interesting, Chris. Of course, um, Wilder's electoral success is part of a broader and sustained trend of the rise of the far, of far-right, anti-immigration and Eurosceptic parties across Europe. Since 2022, the hard right has entered government in Finland, Slovakia and Italy, with the current Swedish government also relying on hard-right support. In Austria, ahead of elections next year, 30% of voters back the hard-right Freedom Party, in Germany as well, where important state elections are due next year, the alternative for Germany is polling at 21%, well ahead of any of the parties in the current governing coalition. Um, in Portugal, a hard right party is set to make major gains in um, the snap elections due in March, and a new hard right party is currently polling at 20% in Romania. And of course, in France, the national rally is polling in a comfortable first place for next year's European Parliament elections. And its leader, Marine Le Pen, um, her election as France's next president is increasingly being seen as uh, a plausible scenario. Current polling suggests these national trends will be reflected in the European Parliament elections next year. Um, so the, the right-wing European Conservatives and Reformist Group, um, which brings together, for example, um, MEPs from Giorgia Meloni's Brothers of Italy and uh, Poland's Law and Justice Party, could jump from 62 to 82 seats in the European Parliament, while the Identity and Democracy Party, which is home to um, Wilders, Le Pen and Salvini's MEPs, is also projected to gain 16 new seats. And if this comes to pass, such a shift in the composition of the European Parliament could have a dramatic impact on the EU agenda um, through, for example, a reduction of the EU's ambition on climate change, a tougher stance on migration, and it could potentially also undermine the EU's support for Ukraine. We'll return to the subject in more detail in future briefings in this series. Of course, one country that has bucked this trend of shifting towards the populist right is Poland, where voters turned out in record numbers to vote out the Nationalist Law and Justice Party that has been in government for the past eight years and throw their support behind a coalition led by former president of the European Council, Donald Tusk. Yet, although the Polish general election took place in October, there is still new no new government in place as yet. Where do things currently stand in Poland, Lydia? Well, yes, Anna, you're right. We do not have a government in place in Poland just yet, which is uh, completely unprecedented. Uh, unprecedented delay of two months between actually forming and voting the new government and uh, the election date. Uh, it has been one of the biggest tests for President Andrzej Duda, who was hoped to actually uh, go directly to form the government of the new uh, coalition. Instead, uh, Andrzej Duda, who hails from Law and Justice Party, has stalled the process for Tusk to form a government by asking the current Prime Minister, Mateusz Morawiecki, also a member of Law and Justice, to make a first attempt at forming a new government. 
Uh, Morawiecki proposed government, um, and this government will almost certainly not secure the confidence of the Polish parliament, and the vote will take in a coming on the coming Monday, 11th of December. Shortly after, the parliament is uh, will be nominating Tusk as its candidate for prime minister, but it is still possible that President Duda could either refuse or delay Tusk's nomination. There is a shadow of doubt about it, and I think that the first step in which uh, Duda actually did not allow Tusk to form the government in the first place is casting this shadow even bigger. Uh, this, in turn, will be throwing into doubt whether Tusk will represent Poland at the EU summit on the 14th of December. The entire process is now planned in detail by the parliament. So should the promises be kept, uh, most probably we will have the new government on the 13th of December. And if Tusk is appointed as Poland's prime minister, what would this mean for Poland's relationship with the EU? That would be a great shift, a great shift because uh, the uh, uh, outgoing government of law and justice actually had a very turbulent relationship and fractious re uh, relationship with EU, resulting uh, in blocking of a very important access to COVID recovery funds and even more money due to uh, due from the EU budget. Uh, these uh, funds were blocked by the Commission amid concerns that the Law and Justice Party had introduced various measures that were considered to undermine the rule of law. Um, everybody is now hoping that Donald Tusk, who has strong relationships in Brussels from his time as president of the European Council, will be able to unblock this funding. While Poland will certainly take a more constructive stance in Brussels, under Tusk leadership, the European Commission will likely only unblock the funding once the rule of law conditions it has laid down have been met, uh, which is not going to be uh, an easy process, definitely not straightforward. Um, one of the important reform, uh, which was previously agreed with the European Commission, uh, was to uh, actually uh, be blocked uh, by the Polish Constitutional Court, whose judges were appointed by the Law of, uh, and Justice Party. It resulted with a bit of a catch-22 situation, uh, which is not going to be easy to untangle right now. On the other hand, Tusk is also likely to take a more diplomatic approach um, to Poland's bilateral relationship with Ukraine, signaling a shift in tone from the outgoing government's recent dispute over restrictions on duty-free imports of Ukrainian grain and strengthening the EU's attempts to present a united front against Russia. Um, we have to bear in mind that the uh, previous um, crisis situation with the um, import of duty-free grains has now been deepened by the current protests of the transport companies blocking some of the border crossings with Ukraine. On other international fronts, the defeat of Law and Justice Party also means that Hungary's increasingly isolated Viktor Orban has lost one of his few allies in the European Council. Although he may console himself with the return to power of Slovakia's Robert Fico, who shares some of his pro-Russia's views. Of course, these elections results do not necessarily mean that Law and Justice Party will not elect a sizable contingent to the next European Parliament. Poland's rural east still overwhelmingly voted for the Law and Justice Party, 
and will likely vote for the MEP candidates in June. Thanks, Lydia. Um, moving on now to Spain, where all the pollsters that predicted a decisive victory for the centre-right popular party were proven wrong. What explains the, the Spanish result, Carlos? Thanks, Anna. Uh, in Spain, we have seen voters react to expectations that the popular party could enter into a coalition with the hard right, right party box by turning out in high numbers to vote for mainstream parties, popular party and socialist party. Although the popular party still topped the pool and won the elections, it failed to secure the numbers to form a government. Also because its potential coalition partner box, the far right party, performed very poorly. Looking ahead to the next uh, European Parliament elections, probably the Spanish experience suggests that in some countries, the European People's Party potential strategy of having deals with right-wing groups could potentially backfire, as leftist voters probably mobilize to stop the hard right. Of course, as you know, the Pedro Sanchez path towards forming a government has also involved some difficult deals with French parties, including an amnesty bill for Catalonian separatists that has sparked mass protests across the country and attracted scrutiny from the European Commission. You know, Sanchez was widely rumored to have his eye on the European Council presidency. But this scrutiny from Brussels means, in my opinion, that it is unlikely that he will secure an European Union top job next year. And on the other hand, I believe that his top priority will be domestic and will be to complete the four-year term. It remains to be seen whether the coalition that Sanchez has called together with friends from the far left to the nationalist right will hold. I expect the new legislative term to be unstable. It will be increasingly difficult for the prime minister and his government to pass legislation and the annual budget. On the other hand, we can expect continuity in the orthodox economic policy that has been practiced by the government up to now. And Catalan independentists has already warned that they will push for an independence referendum. That is, you know, a hot issue for the Spanish public opinion, making the future of uh, in their support on Sanchez's willingness to negotiate. So we can see a short mandate in the, in the next years. Moreover, it's very likely that voters will punish Sanchez for giving to the separatist demands for an amnesty at the European 
parliament elections by delivering a strong result for the Popular Party in June. Sanchez and stability to secure a decisive majority alongside with wildest triumph over the Green Labour coalition in the land in the in the Netherlands that has been mentioned by Chris, Sanna Martin's defeat in Finland, the declining popularity of the Schulz government and the SPD in Germany, and more recently, the resignation of the Portuguese Prime Minister. Antonio Costa, all are signals that this is probably a moment of weakness for the centre-left in the European Union. Indeed, Carlos, given these election results, we expect far fewer European commissioners from the Party of European Socialists and the next College of Commissioners. And it might also prove difficult, as we're seeing, for the Party of European Socialists to find a household name to front its European Parliament elections campaign as its Spitzenkandidaten. This brings us to the end of today's call. As we've seen, the general elections um, in the run-up to the European Parliament elections tell us quite a lot about what we might expect in the, in the next EU legislative cycle, from the rise of the hard right to a realignment of alliances and power dynamics in the Council, and a potentially further diminished influence of the centre-left in the next European Commission. We'll dive into these issues in more detail in our next briefing on the EU's 2024 political transition in January. Until then, stay tuned for more from Flint on this topic.